0: From Georgetown University, this is Seeking Peace. I'm Alain Verveer. Welcome back to another episode of season three. This season, we are collaborating with the United Nations Department of Peace Operations and our secure future to explore women's roles in bringing lasting peace to communities, whether it be through grassroots activism, in peace negotiations, journalism, politics, or as uniform peacekeepers. In this episode, we'll be exploring women's roles in peace negotiations and the implementation of peace agreements. To do that, we spoke with U.N. Assistant Secretary General for Africa, Martha Ama akiapobi As the ASG for Africa, she oversees the U.N.'s work on peace and security on the continent where the UN currently has six ongoing peacekeeping operations. Well, it is most critical
1: that we have women actively participating in politics, actively participating in peace operations, because,
0: first of all, women hold up half the sky. Prior to assuming her role as ASG, Martha Povey had a long career as a diplomat. She served in the Ministry for Foreign Affairs of Ghana as the director of the Information and Public Affairs Bureau. Martha Povey later became the deputy head of mission in the Ghana High Commission in Pretoria. Despite her credentials, when she was named a permanent representative to the United Nations for Ghana in 2015, her capabilities were questioned.
1: It's been quite a challenge. Women... And and I, speaking personally, I've had to do the extra, the double of what possibly my male colleagues uh, did to be recognized as capable. And there were certain settings where I was not allowed because I was a woman. For instance, I was the first uh, woman to be appointed as permanent representative to the United Nations. And this comes, you know, Ghana was independent in 1957, we became a member of the organization. And it was only in 2015 that this happened. And, and that placed for, on me a lot of pressure in the sense that you had to deliver. And you had to make a mark for subsequent appointments to happen. Because I do recall, I heard a number of comments that you know New York is too difficult. It should be a male ambassador. So I really wanted to prove them wrong, and uh, it took five years of hard work, and it was well worth
0: it, I think. Martha Poby has worked at the highest levels of international diplomacy. From personal experience, she understands how critical women's involvement is to creating and implementing lasting peace. Now, if we do not involve women, most
1: likely looking at um, the way the discussions go in these negotiations, the more militaristic approaches and viewpoints are what come into play. But when you have women there, we know that human security becomes a focus. When we institutionalize women's leadership at all levels and recognize the community-led conflict resolution efforts and mechanisms, we put them at the heart of peace and security and increase the credibility of the processes. And um, I think all of this is also backed by research. It's going to show that indeed when women are there, We get better results.
0: According to a global study on the implementation of the United Nations Security Council Resolution 1325, women's participation increases the probability of a peace agreement lasting up to 15 years. Despite the evidence of better results, women continue to face challenges that prevent them from meaningfully participating in negotiations. In many cases, they struggle to be taken seriously as figures of authority. Women face a number of barriers
1: to their participation. Some of it is cultural, some of it is also that institutions have not made sufficient room for them to participate. They often face closed doors uh, when trying to engage in peace negotiations. And then In areas where we have legislation to guarantee their participation or certain quotas that have been assigned or given to women, the ability to have accountability for those institutions that do not adhere to these quotas um, is not adequate. And so women also, have to navigate a very key fundamental thing, the patriarchal systems that exist, domestic roles, are what some societies still emphasize, and we need to break out of that
0: barrier. There are efforts to shift these cultural views in some African countries. One of the countries ASG Martha Poby recently visited in this capacity was Mali. The Malian political situation has been tumultuous and unstable since 2012. With two military coups since 2020, Mali is currently ruled by the transitional government of Colonel Asimi Goita. In Mali, stability is threatened by internal armed conflicts, with regular attacks on civilians, resulting in displacement and food insecurity. The conflict reinforces women and girls' existing vulnerabilities and threatens access to basic social and health services. Women in Mali have mobilized in the face of these considerable challenges and are engaging in the current political transition. In advance of upcoming elections, their goal is to raise awareness, conduct political advocacy for women's rights, and build their capacities. This would equip them to better participate in politics and the electoral process. Earlier this year, Martha Pobe witnessed their efforts and activities in Bamako, the capital and largest city in Mali. First of all, just seeing
1: them in those roles for the rest of society is a way of empowering the society to to know that they can break barriers. Now, when I was there, I met women from all over the country who were talking about their experiences. And to hear from these women was very inspiring for me to see that in the worst possible places where they have to live and bring up their families, They had that voice, they had that vision, and I wish more of the decision-making people in that country would hear from these women. And they have solutions. And if only these solutions can be taken on board.
0: Our first guest has participated in these efforts in another Malian city, Timbuktu, located on the southern edge of the Sahara Desert. A native of Timbuktu, Maiga Aziza Mint Mohammed, was elected municipal councillor, deputy mayor of Timbuktu from 2004 to 2009, and a member of parliament for Timbuktu. She's the first ever woman to hold this post.
1: I am the honorable
2: Maiga Aziza Mint Mohammed. I am the president of the Women Leaders for Peace, Reconciliation, and Development of the Timbuktu and Taudini regions.
0: Maiga has been crucial to the peace process in Mali for several years. She represented her region during peace negotiations, called the Algiers Talks, in 2015. These talks led to the current Malian Peace Agreement. It aimed to restore peace through a process of decentralization, reconstituting a national army, and boosting the economy through dialogue and reconciliation. Women were not formally invited to the negotiation rounds, but still traveled to the meetings. They pushed through barricades and demanded a seat at the table. Our conversation with Maiga was conducted at Mikado FM by photojournalist Connie Sissoko. Connie sat down with Maïga to discuss why women's participation should be central to resolving conflict in Mali and other nations. This interview was originally conducted in French. Miga's responses have been translated for our audience.
1: You know that in all conflicts, the first victims are women
2: and children, so the involvement of women is necessary in the management of conflicts. And the 1325 resolution gives us the right to participate in the involvement in these decision-making bodies of the agreement for peace and reconciliation resulting from the Algiers process. Women are the most affected in these conflicts because men are mobile actors. And the women stay on the spot in the homes or in the markets to go exercise and do their weekly market shopping. So the wife comes back into the home and stays there. Therefore, when there is a conflict, women are the most exposed. Exposed to violence and aggression. I would like to draw your attention to GBV, gender-based violence. um, Physical, sexual and material violence. They lose their material assets because they are in charge of caring materially for the family. There is insecurity in the environment, so there is a precarious situation. What should we do? We must support these women in the economic recovery. We must support them in income-generating activities. We must support them psychologically because there are victims among them. The victims are traumatized. We have to ensure their security in the name of peace. We have to ensure medical assistance, food security. We have to ensure that.
0: According to a 2020 analysis by the International Crisis Group, the implementation of the peace agreement has proven to be challenging. We asked MIGA what was needed to implement the peace agreement in Mali, and the role women had to play.
2: We must take ownership of the Agreement for Peace and Reconciliation and communicate better about it. This means improving the representation of women. And I come back to this in all the implementation bodies. Women are strong. Women fought very hard so that other women could be taken into account into the Agreements Monitoring Committee. We can always do better. We must move towards a more significant number. Because we need women everywhere. In prevention, in management, in protection, in reparations. This is a strong plea. It's a call to the stakeholders. And now, on the political and institutional issues, the new reforms, we need to review all of that and put women at the heart of
0: the system. Although women were not invited to initial Mali peace talks, women like MAGA did not take no for an answer. Many women planned a route, following the signs of police presence, and found the venue where talks would be held. Once they managed to enter, they found that women did not have space at the table. So they demanded more tables and chairs. They made space for themselves, both literally and figuratively. Following the signing of the agreement in 2015, Hardly any women were involved in monitoring the mechanisms of the peace agreement. This happened despite their historic national gender quota law, which required a minimum of 30% of women in such mechanisms. After considerable efforts, in 2020, women finally entered the Peace Agreement Monitoring Committee. A year later, they made up 31% of the members of the committee. And as of this September, additional women were appointed, which brought the figure to 38%, a huge and truly historic achievement. MIGA, along with other women, contributed to this success. Although this is a significant step in the right direction, MIGA and other peace builders are working to ensure the minimum quota is and continues to be fully respected.
2: In the long term, we need constitutional reform. We need to ensure the presence and effective participation of women while respecting the quota of 30% or more. We have what it takes. So I think... There are ways. It is true. There are means. The international community is committed to guaranteeing this agreement for peace and reconciliation resulting from the Algiers process.
0: We're going to take a short break. We'll be back with more incredible peace builders right after this. Climate change, income inequality, the fight for democracy. Now more than ever, the issues facing our communities are global ones, and they can be pretty overwhelming. On Trending Globally, a podcast from Brown University, you'll hear clear, compelling analysis of the planet's most pressing issues from the world's leading experts. It'll help you see current events, whether in your backyard or on the other side of the globe, in a whole new light. Subscribe to Trending Globally wherever you listen to podcasts. Quotas are powerful tools to encourage women's presence and input in peace negotiations and agreements, but only when they are meaningfully respected. ASG Martha Pobey told us why quotas are only the beginning for ensuring women's participation. So there has to be the monitoring, there has to
1: be some kind of accountability for it. There has to be the advocacy. Pressure from everywhere will be necessary. It's it's not easy for them to give up the power, but it has to happen because it is for the good of the entire uh, society. You cannot leave the business of monitoring to men. So at each stage, we have to have the presence of women. And when they're there, It's one thing being given the space at the table, and it's another thing making use of
0: that space effectively. In a young country like South Sudan, quotas have the potential to hold even more weight and make a greater impact. Since the country's founding, our second guest has been pushing for the inclusion of women in peace negotiations and the implementation of agreements. In July of 2011, South Sudan became the newest country in the world. The birth of the Republic of South Sudan culminated from a six-year peace process, ending more than 20 years of war. However, in 2013, violence broke out in South Sudan's capital, Juba. Conflict erupted and spread to other locations in the country. Tens of thousands of civilians fled, and the United Nations estimates that thousands of people were killed. With the signing of the revitalized peace agreement in 2018 and a transitional government in place, political violence has been greatly reduced across South Sudan. Women have, however, continued to express concern over the lack of diverse voices in the peace process and in political decision-making. One of these women is our second guest, Alokir Malewal. Alokir is an advocate for women's participation in peace negotiations and implementation in South Sudan. Back in 2015, she became the first woman in South Sudan to sign a peace agreement. Alokir is part of the Revitalized Joint Monitoring and Evaluation Commission established to oversee the implementation of the Revitalized Peace Agreement. Maura Ajak, a journalist located in South Sudan's capital, Juba, spoke to Alokir about her experience in peacebuilding.
3: Hello, my name is Maura Ajak. I'm a freelance journalist based in South Sudan. Today I'm speaking with Alokir Malwal. Welcome, Alokir, to our studio.
4: Thank you, Maura. It's a pleasure to be with you once again.
3: In 2015, you became the first woman in South Sudan to sign a peace agreement. Can you tell me a bit about what led you to that moment
4: and who else was participating? Uh, Being part of the peace process was um, uh, a desire and an obligation, a commitment. As I think if I mention, we were like the war had been there. And men had been always part of the war and now part of the making the peace because it depends who is leading who in this conflict. Being a civil society had given us a natural space and a voice on behalf of the people, which was very encouraging and strong enough to let us ask for more of our demand and participation in this process. We came to the time of signing and finalizing the agreement. We have noticed that the worrying parties and the guarantors, the partners, the friends are having space to sign. And we were like, we are not signing. So it was another step to ask and request and demand for us to be part of this. As what? At least if we are not parties in the implementation, then we are part of the people who are supposed to help in the implementation and to benefit from the agreement. And um, if we are not the guarantors and not partners who sponsored the agreement, then we are witness of what had happened. And that was our status in signing this uh, agreement as witness. So,
3: here, you have tried. You were ignored. Chest, and then allowed or given access then they reformed the group and then again they were giving you the recognition and then you start claiming your rights how can you
4: describe that wow this is a struggle (laughs) (laughs) it's not easy Mm -hmm. it's a fight and if you are not well informed and equipped and you are not courageous enough and you are not organized and disciplined, you cannot reach, you cannot achieve. So it was a hard work and a huge amount of consultations and advices and network. By the way, I was not like I know it and I did it alone. If you, if you notice the process, I have to ask and get questions and get support from others. You cannot do it alone. The beginning of this is when they went to the first meeting in January, there was not a single woman. And it was only the leaders of the parties and the worrying parties, they were the one. And it was about the cessation of hostilities. Now, the second part, they now come to talk about the peace with all the other perspectives of it and all the other dimension of the the war which took place. So at this time there were only like three from each identified parties and all were men. By the time we went in as the civil society where I asked for the two, there were women in the delegation of the government but they were not in the negotiating Table on behalf of the Like government. behind the scenes? They are behind the scenes. But for us, we were sure that we are the one talking and sitting in the front line on our. Uh, sharing the table? Sharing the table.
0: With United Nations support, Alokir was one of seven women signatories to South Sudan's 2018 Revitalized Peace Agreement. In negotiations, the number of women participating continued to grow and reached a total of 28 women. This was a fourfold increase compared to the 2017 negotiations. As Alokir mentioned, this was not an easy feat. To reach this number, some women shared what little resources they had, food or shelter where peace talks were being held, so that more women could join in the talks.
3: Since the signing of the revitalized peace agreement in 2018, one of the most gender-sensitive peace agreements, where are we today? How are the gender provisions being implemented?
4: When we were in the peace talk or in the negotiation, all these processes, when it comes to issue of gender, if we don't make sure that he and she is mentioned, it will end up only here. And if we don't mention, make it very clear that the woman should be there like 35%, then it won't be put. And, you know, they will be like, no, it is not written in this article. You are in the other article. So we made sure in every introduction of a chapter, there is something to show the 35 should apply and should be. A must within the process of the implementation. But we have noticed now at the time of the implementation that most of the parties, if they have like two spaces, they will only give them to men. Because they are looking now for other gains later on, like in the political arena of election time, whom do they want, which areas do they want. Is a woman capable to feel for them
0: that space? We have noticed that. South Sudan's revitalized peace agreement, signed in September of 2018, allotted a minimum of 35% representation of women at all levels of governance through affirmative action. Alakir helped broker the adoption of this new quota for women, and she continues to advocate for its implementation. Even though there are more women now in decision-making bodies in South Sudan, it has been a struggle, as Alokir mentioned, to get parties to fully commit to the quota. In a recent Instagram Live with the U.N. Department of Peace Operations, Alakir shared that this has created a great opportunity for women of the Republic of South Sudan and that they must seize it. She said, we were not called to be part of this process, but we felt we need to be, so we have to move and push our way in. ASG Poby shared why South Sudan is in a unique position with the progress they've made in women's participation. South Sudan is, a,
1: is it's one of the youngest countries in, in Africa. The hopes... I remember that came with the independence, you know, of that country was, you know, it's like a country that could avoid all the challenges that other countries faced on the continent. So I think that that country has a unique opportunity with what they've been able to achieve with the representation to make that difference and to avoid some of the challenges that women in other settings had to try to overcome. That is why I think that a lot of support for work that uh, Alokir is doing is necessary. I think it's not just the UN supporting them, uh, but the international community uh, at the bilateral level must
0: uh, push to help. The quota system is far from perfect. However, ASG POBE believes that there are reasons to be hopeful in the potential they create. Although they face very different circumstances, asg Poby sees the connection between how both Alokir and MAIGA have opened doors for women in their countries. In Mali, women were
1: not invited to initial peace talks in 2012 they literally knocked on the door and requested a table uh, to be added so they would have a seat at the table now they pushed in south sudan they were successful in shaping one of the most gender responsive peace agreements in 2018 which is a revitalized peace agreement which contains critical gender perspectives and provisions now in both contexts the quota is often ignored, but it is necessary. That is the benchmark that we can all work around and push. And once it is accepted into legislation or any other formal framework, it is helpful. First of all, in Mali, you know, it was uh, from 2015, went up to 2020 before the quota was respected. Uh, The achievement was historic, Uh, was a direct outcome of the tireless efforts of these women, the advocacy efforts also that uh, were amplified by the United Nations and other actors. Now the two countries are going through very important political transitions. It's not going to be easy uh, to, you know, letting go of power, you know, the men are not going to give it up that easily. So uh, I think the quota helps and
0: we're able to use that uh, to push further. Peace and women's rights may not be fully realized in either South Sudan or Mali, but women on the ground, like Maiga, are not giving up and continue to feel hopeful.
2: This involvement is necessary for peace in Mali. The involvement of women and young people as peace activists, as women Peacemakers and peacekeepers, I advocate and continue to advocate for the full and complete equal and meaningful participation of women in the peace process. Women's involvement at all levels of conflict management, bodies, and the resolution of our conflicts. Together, we can work. Together we can move towards peace, thanks to the women and youth who are the essential links to get there.
1: Women like Maiga and uh, Alokia, they humble me. I'm really humbled um, in the sense that, yes, I may have done 30 years of diplomacy and here in New York, had the opportunity to engage at the highest level in talks. But talks are talks. And when we fail to reflect decisions that are supposed to impact positively on the ground, then it questions really what all the big talk was about. Now, when you find women who, in spite of that, position where they are now then it questions really what all the big talk was about now when you find women who in spite of that position where they are now are making every effort to make that change from the bottom up it's so inspiring and it really for me it's Perhaps when I wake up in the morning to come to work, it is women, like Maiga, and here who inspire me. Also because they're doing the kind of things that sometimes I, in, in some moments, quiet moments, I wonder whether I should be there with them or here. And, and that really should inspire all of us, uh, this organization, to do better, to continue to strive in spite of the challenges we face. We we should be inspired to build on them, to try to overcome these challenges because ultimately those women out there, those children out there, those populations out there are counting on us and we have to meet them, leaving no one behind, especially our women and children. So I salute them for what they do and there are several women on the continent who are doing likewise. I urge them to continue to inspire the younger ones. And we are here to help and support in any way because ultimately the work is being done at the grassroots level. So that's what inspires me. <laughs> they do inspire me. And, and I think it's not just me. A lot of my colleagues
0: are equally inspired. So we thank them for what they do. Stay tuned for our next episode to learn about the impact women have on politics, both on the ground and in government. The third season of Seeking Peace is a production of Georgetown University's Institute for Women, Peace, and Security, in partnership with the United Nations Department of Peace Operations and Our Secure Future. It is produced by Wonder Media Network. If you like what you've heard, please share it far and wide. You can find all of our episodes on your favorite listening app or at SeekingPeacePodcast.com.